Good afternoon. The church in Galatia was a hot mess, and Paul was hopping mad about it. And what's the problem? The Christians of the Galatian church have adopted a gospel other than the gospel that Paul taught them. Paul founded these churches. He was a church planter. I mean, Paul was the church planter, right? And he taught them about the salvation they have through Jesus. He taught them we can put our whole trust in Christ for our salvation. He taught them there's nothing and no one else who can save us. And that's the center of his proclamation. There's nothing else that can save us. There's no one else who can save us. There is no other name. It's the answer to the question at the end of Romans 7. You know, wretched man that I am, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? And so much of our lives is trying to spend spend answering that question. Who's going to save me? What's going to save me? What's going to save me from this sense of emptiness that I have? What's going to save me? Who's going to save me from being eternally erased in death? What's going to save me from feeling like my life doesn't matter? Or who's going to save me from being defined by the worst thing I ever did? What's going to save me from being defined by the worst thing that's ever been done to me? What's going to save me when the world seems to be spinning out of control? And yes, you can try all the time-tested ways to feel better about these things. Money, sex, power, alcohol, and drugs. You may fixate on control. You may fixate on self-help. Or you may find people who you think will complete you, but will not. And at some point you will realize that despite all your efforts to fix your life and mask its pain, despite all the would-be saviors that you have invited into your life, you're still broken. And the world is still broken. And there's nothing you can do to fix it. You can focus on on positive things in life like family and relationships and learning, but even these things won't save you. Well, that's what the Galatians are doing. You see, they're focusing on, on something good, the law, but they're asking it to do something that it can't do, which is provide salvation. At least some of the Galatian Christians believed that you had to obey the law in order to be righteous before God. And this is where Paul says they've gone wrong. The law isn't bad. It can show you the difference between right and wrong. The law reflects the goodness with which God originally created all things. But it can't save you. It can't set you free. And it can't make you into a new creation. In Christ there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Behold, everything 
has become new. And you are part of a new creation. God has made you new. And that takes us to verse 15. Now this is one of those hard passages to translate. Um, what it literally says is this, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, instead a new creation. That doesn't make sense in English. Often when I read Paul, I'm reminded of 2 Peter 3.16, which tells us that there are things in Paul's letters that are simply hard to understand. So the NIV translates this passage, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Message translates it like this. It's not what you and I do, submit to circumcision or reject circumcision. It is what God is doing, and he is creating something totally new, a free life. The New Living Translation says, it doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. But I love the way the NRSV renders this passage. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. It's not the most wooden translation, but it gets at what Paul is trying to say through Galatians. Don't put the trust in the law for your salvation. Don't put your trust in anything or anyone except Jesus, because in and through him, God is transforming you into a new creation. The new creation is everything. Now in Galatians, Paul is writing with a lot of emotion. He's hurt, he's angry, he's disappointed, he's, he's sad, he's worried. His spiritual children are abandoning the faith that he taught them. They're going after another gospel. And at the end of the letter, he, he wants them to know, you know, this, this is me. This is Paul, all right. He writes a conclusion in his own hand. See what large letters I make when I write with my own hand. He probably had bad eyesight. He dictated the rest of the letter to a secretary. But he wants a personal touch at the end. He wants them to know, hey, I mean it. I really mean it. I'm writing the end of this with my own hand. And just as it looks like he's wrapping up the letter, you know, look, see how I, what large letters I write in with my, right, well, it's like he, he's walking out of the room and then he turns around and he's like, and another thing. You know, he can't leave it alone. He has to make his point one more time. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now, can't you see the people around him? They're like, Paul, calm down, you know. You're taking this all too personally. You need to, to differentiate emotionally from the people in the congregation. Boundaries, Paul, healthy boundaries. Didn't you go to boundaries training through the district? You need to implement practices of healthy leadership and family systems. Do you have a therapist? You could probably use one. 
But he can't let it go because the Christians and Galatians are giving away the farm. They're giving up the core of the faith. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. And because of that, we are a new creation. And a new creation is everything. Now apparently in, in Galatians, in Galatia, there, there was a group called the Circumcision Faction. It's not the best name for a group. Uh, you <laughs> probably wouldn't want to name your band that. They probably didn't have jackets, but but what they professed is that even if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have to be circumcised in order to be right with God. And what's more, you need to follow the rest of the Jewish law as well, including laws about what you can and can't eat. Now, Peter seems like he wasn't on board with the circumcision faction at first, but when he and Paul were in Antioch together, some members of the circumcision faction showed up. And they started whispering in Peter's ear, Peter, what are you doing? You're eating with those uncircumcised Gentiles. They don't even keep kosher. You know, we keep kosher. Remember, Peter? And then Peter withdrew from table fellowship with the Gentiles. He wouldn't eat with them anymore. So Paul told them off. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile... And not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? In other words, Peter, you weren't keeping kosher before. You weren't preaching circumcision before. But you're doing it now because you're feeling the heat. You're getting pressure and you're giving up the heart of the gospel. So back to chapter 6. The circumcision faction, Paul says, wants converts. They want growth. They want to boast that they have one more in their camp. But they're boasting in the wrong things, Paul writes. May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The cross. Boast in the cross. The cross was widely considered the worst way to die. It was called the slave's punishment. The word cross was an obscenity on the lips of a high-class Roman. Its purpose was not just to torture, but to humiliate. If you were crucified, you lost all honor, all status, all reputation, you yourself became an object of scorn. And it's this, says Paul, it's this in which I will boast. How boast in what the world thinks is foolish and ugly and shameful? Because it is through the foolish, ugly, shameful cross that God broke the power of sin and death and made it possible for sinners like you and me to become a new creation. What are you boasting about? The size of your church, your voice, your looks, are you a great preacher, are you really smart, have you written a lot of books? Boast in Christ Jesus, boast in His cross. 
It's good to grow churches. It's good to sing praises. It's good to write books. All these mean something, but a new creation is everything. Think of the new creation like ripples in water. At the center is the cross. And the transforming power of God radiates out from the cross to people like you and me and changes us. Paul teaches us in Romans 6 that our old self is crucified with Christ and our new self bears a different character. By the power of God, we begin to bear fruit. We bear fruit because we're a new creation. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Our lives look different because we are different. The transforming power of God radiates out from the cross to the societies in which we live, and it changes them. Thus, Mary in the Magnificat speaks about the work of God in sending Christ. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. When the poor have food and clothing, when groups of people who are at odds with one another begin to seek reconciliation, when the lowly are exalted, we see glimpses of the new creation of God. Society looks different because it is different. The transforming power of God radiates out from the cross to all creation. Christ says in Revelation 21.5, See, I am making all things new. We see in this same chapter a new heaven and a new earth, and at its center, a new Jerusalem. The Bible begins with creation, and it ends with new creation, and the new creation looks different because it is different. The new creation is the whole work of God in the universe. It is the restoration to the way that things were always meant to be. Yogi Berra said, the future ain't what it used to be. He must have been reading his Bible. The future ain't what it used to be. In fact, God's bringing about a new creation, and a new creation is everything. The new creation is here, now, for you and me. God's remaking us as we speak, as we sit here in this chapel, right now. And the new creation is still to come in its fullness as God brings to completion the work of restoration that Christ made possible on the cross of Calvary. Last week, a man came up to me at the Holy Spirit Seminar. And he said, last year, I asked you to pray that I be healed of addiction to pornography. And you healed me. Now, I am so grateful that he was healed. But I didn't heal anybody. I know what he meant, but all I did was lay my big stupid hand on him and prayed. And God took a part of his heart that was broken and empty and sinful and remade that part of his heart 
into a new creation. The new creation broke out right there at United Theological Seminary last December through the simple power of prayer. And it's just one more demonstration that God is making all things new. God is bringing about a new creation. And a new creation is everything. Amen. Christ invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin, and who seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. Let us offer one another signs of reconciliation and love. Please rise for the great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets, who looked for that day when justice shall roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, when nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, 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 holy.
Holy are you, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent in the fullness of time to be a light to the nations. You scatter the proud in the imagination of their hearts, and have mercy on those who fear you from generation to generation. You put down the mighty from their thrones, and exalt those of low degree. You fill the hungry with good things, and the rich you send away empty. Your own Son came among us as a servant to be Emmanuel, your presence with us. He humbled himself in obedience to your will and freely accepted death on a cross. By the baptism of his suffering death and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, all of you. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Dying Christ, he shed our death. Rising Christ, restores our life. Christ will your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Joy to God, our Lord is here. We sing our thanks and praise. When hallelujah's ring, a joyful voice sing. We offer now our praise. We offer now our days. We sing, we shout a joy. Amen. Amen. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. The bread which we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. The cup over which we give thanks is a sharing in the blood of Christ. I'll invite the servers to come forward.
body of Christ broken for you is here, and his blood shed for you. Don the body of Christ broken for you, and his blood shed for you. Zuncum, the body of Christ broken for you, and his blood shed for you. Tasha, the body of Christ broken for you, and his blood shed for you. So friends, the table is set, the feast is prepared. Come, taste and see that the Lord is good. strength of your spirit to give ourselves for others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Please turn in your hymnal to page 209. Bless me, the God of Israel, who comes to set us free, who visits and Of freedom. 
was just thinking in that hymn, the, the dawning on, on, on prisoners begins to rise. I want to invite Kent Millard forward to pray over the letters that we wrote that we're going to send out to the prisoners tomorrow. He, I didn't ask him to do this, but I just thought we need to bless these letters that are, Where are they? sending out. They're in the black bin over there. Okay, well, let's bring them over. Yeah. I want to thank those who brought this to our attention. Um, but the Bible says in Matthew 25, I was in prison and you visited me. And they say, when were you in prison and I visited you? Jesus says, as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. So as we were writing these letters, I was thinking about those prisoners and seeing the prisoners as Christ. Because as we've done it to them, so we've done it to Christ. So I want to thank everyone who wrote these letters. And I was thinking there'll be a person in a cell next week who will open this letter. Unless someone cared. Let's pray. Loving God, you cared for us. You gave us new life, new creation. You sent your son, Jesus, to live and die and rise again. Demonstrate your love and give us eternal life. For all of this, we are overjoyed and thankful. Now may we share your blessings with others. Bless these letters, O oh God, that they may become a message from you. We wrote it with our hands, but it's a message from you of blessing and hope. And may these letters convey your love, your sacrifice, and your presence. People in dark places, bring them light and love and peace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In Christ there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Receive that in your life. Live it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Yes. Yeah.